0: seen a lot of new movies recently
1: yeah we're now like i feel like in the thick of of movie releases now we we have had some dry spells recently Mm -hmm. which
0: we said last time too but again it's just nice to be back into Yeah, we're
1: still we're still reveling in in Mm -hmm. good movie season there
0: was one specifically that i've been wanting to see since it was announced but i haven't been able to but you have which is robert eggers the northman oh yeah
1: yeah the uh kind of viking revenge epic film um yeah i thought i thought it was like i thought it was good uh being a huge fan of his his first two movies Mm -hmm. i was a little disappointed um but i I think mileage will vary because it's clearly like eggers trying to do his eggers thing but also wanting to do like a little bit more of a conventional kind of uh epic drama thing blockbuster type thing I think for me it like mostly works on both fronts but like not to the same effect that either avenue would have on yeah. its own. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't it doesn't quite jive but are it's you... it's fun. I think uh, Scar's are really great. This is like mm-hmm. the role that he <laughs> needed to play because yeah. I think during the
0: press screening stuff for the Junkets for this film he was pretty much very much kind of bitter in the way that I think is understandable where since I think he pretty, he didn't say the Legend of the Tarzan's the reason why this is kind of kind of messed with his career, but like oh, yeah. for the longest time he was just after that film, it seemed like the dumb buff dude. Yeah, that was people. like his
1: chance to be a leading man and it kinda sucked.
0: Which is wild to hear because I think right after that film he's on HBO's big little lies.
1: Yeah. And he's
0: great. Right. Like he's right. great in that show and it's just like this guy has two HBO shows under his belt and he's good. Yeah. <laughs> And he looks, he looks great yeah. in Legend of Tarzan.
1: <laughs> yeah. But, the but fact- no, yeah, in this movie, he's just awesome. I mean, he's mm-hmm. just got that. It's, you know, somebody who's, you can see their anger in every muscle of their body. Uh, and he's just, like, just broiling with rage.
0: So, I don't know if we've ever talked about this. Because it really doesn't matter that much in terms of rankings. There's only three. But are <laughs> you which lighthouse Northman, are you Lighthouse first? Is Lighthouse your um,
1: favorite? I would probably have to rewatch both of those two films to decide. I mm-hmm. haven't seen The Witch since I thought in theaters, and I have an iconic history with that movie. We, in the, have,
0: I was going to bring it up in this, but <laughs> have we even talked about it in the podcast? I don't think so. The, you please, the, the, it's the witch, so good.
1: The Witch uh, made me um, pass out and fall down the stairs of the theater When I went to see it, uh, I I went to see it with my brother and I had come from uh, cross-country practice. I was in college at the time and hadn't eaten anything, was probably dehydrated from my workout. Mm -hmm. Um, So blood sugar was low and everything. Watch this movie. It's a nightmare of a movie. I mean, Robert Eggers' atmosphere is incredible if you've seen it. Um, Get to the end of the movie. It's a very intense kind of intimate sequence of two people grappling with each other and there's some blood and some really crazy emotions and that sort of thing. And it just didn't sit right with me. And I mm-hmm. like started to feel queasy. So I got up from my seat to like, excuse myself from the theater, not realizing this was like two minutes before the end of the movie.
0: Yeah. That's like uh, the climax yeah. basically. So
1: I, I uh, stood up, walked to the end of the row. And I remember putting my hand on the metal railing and like feeling the cold metal of the railing. And then it was like, I blinked and my vision went black and I woke up at the bottom of the stairs of the cinema that I was in and my brother was running down the stairs, picked me up and carried me out into the hallway. God bless him. Um but yeah, so that was that that was my experience with the Wage. So I would yeah. I, I should probably rewatch it, but I, I think I do rank it right now higher than the mm-hmm. lighthouse. Yeah. But that could easily flip, I think.
0: Yeah. And and I also that, that fucking story is I've used it so many times. <laughs> It's just the like the power of cinema. I was like if you've never seen The Witch, you should. I've had a one of my best friends passed out while watching it. Was it yeah. because of the film? Who knows. Yeah. There's only one way to find <laughs> who's, out. Who's to say? Who's to say? <laughs> it could have been the fact that he didn't yeah. eat, he was dehydrated, but well, it could have the, been the
1: fear. The funny part too was like apparently other people in the theater mm-hmm. were like shaken by what happened to me because it was right yes. at the, the you know, it's like uh, just this horrifying nightmare sequence right at the height of the tension of the movie and uh you know, I'm sure everybody thought this poor kid had gotten possessed by the magic <laughs> of cinema and like dragged out of the theater. People it, were like looking at me like I had died when they walked out of the theater. It's
0: crazy what happens when you're in a theater that's like not that full, but just enough people that you're <laughs> aware of the people around you. So when something like that happens, it just yeah. fucks with you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I wish I knew what it looked like to see me fall all the way down those stairs cuz like theater steps are not steep. Like no. That was, that was a long, horizontal that's, distance. That's a lot of steps. there's was a lot of rolling. Yeah. I don't know what it looked like, but... Yeah, well, you're still here, and that's
0: all we can... I mean, yeah. I'm glad that we can tell the story, and you're not like... And that's why I can't see out <laughs> of my left eye or some shit like right. that. Uh, I, the closest I have to that story, I mean, is it's not even has anything to do with the actual film itself, but I think I saw It, chapter one or chapter two, with my brother. Yeah. I think it was chapter one in theaters in Columbus... Indiana and as we we're trying to go up the steps, he's the kind of guy. He's the kind of kid that is just like he doesn't like sitting next to people, which is totally fine. Oh, okay. But, <laughs> I don't know if we talked about this. Like he just little... wants the distance. Well, the he's a lot like privacy. My, he's a lot like my dad in the way that like there there used to be a time where when I would go to a movie with my dad, he would always want the aisle seat.
1: Oh, okay. And I would sit
0: next to him, and if there was somebody that was sitting two or three seats away, my dad would be like, "Why are they sitting there?" <laughs> There's a perfectly fine row behind us. And it's yeah. like, "I don't know." So yeah. my brother is like that, too. And right. so, like, any time we're together, like, if it's my brother and my sister or as a family, he, he tends to just be in the middle or uh-huh. just on the end if my dad's not taking that seat. And, like, when we're trying to go up the stairs, I don't know if he was just trying to get to a seat before anyone else because it – I don't know if anyone remembers. It Chapter 1 just had a bunch of fucking people seeing it. Yeah, it was just a huge It was a big movie. hit. And I think he was just trying to get an aisle seat, and I think he ate shit and just fell completely <laughs> on the ground with a thing of popcorn all over the floor. Oh. And he was so embarrassed, he was dead silent, I think, for a good, like, <laughs> chunk of the previews and stuff, and just sat there. Oh, he was probably fourteen, fifteen. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's so funny. But yeah, no, I mean, it sucks that, I mean... Hearing from you that the Northmen, it was a bit of a disappointment, but... Yeah, I mean, I mean it's still a good movie. I was going to say, you still liked it. Yeah,
1: it's definitely. It's it's one of those where, like, I find myself talking about it, like, more negatively mm-hmm. than I actually felt about it, because, like, watching it, I was like, okay, that was fun, I enjoyed it, but then, like, reflecting on it, it's just, like, maybe because of Eggers' previous movies being so good... I mean, yeah, it's, it's hard and, to
0: make The Lighthouse yeah. and The Witch, which are so fucking good on their own, yeah. and not just have a film that... Is pretty much great or still like really, really good yeah. by itself, but to stand out. Right, right.
1: Well, and I think also probably just, I, I think there is a lot of, I mean, there tends to be whenever a, a popular director makes a new movie, a lot of kind of just hyperbolic praise being lobbed at it. And so I was yeah. like, well, I kind of want to focus on the things that mm-hmm. I, you know, didn't like so much about it, <laughs> although I still really liked it overall.
0: I will say, as someone who's excited to still see it in theaters, it's been fun just listening to the press. Bits mm-hmm. like the whole thing oh, about yeah. Anna Taylor Joy wanting to be the mermaid in the lighthouse, and Robert Eggers <laughs> just vehemently saying, "Absolutely not, yeah. you do not we no, don't
1: or, do that." Or Eggers uh, being asked if he wanted to make a movie set in modern times, and he just goes, "No, thank you." He's like, yeah,
0: fuck <laughs> no. It's like, oh, that's so good. Or the fact that like it's again, and again, when Eggers is in like kind of the lexicon talking about films, regardless if it's about his films or not, it's just the whole like. Oh, is your next film Nosferatu? Yeah, and it seems like any every other time he's asked, it changes. Right to the point where, like, I think at the beginning of the press junket, people said it's confirmed, Nosferatu is going to be one of his next films, if not his next one. And then it's like by the end of the press junket, it was like, yeah. it might not be his next right, film. Right. And it's like, come on.
1: Kind of sad though. I think The Northman only made eleven or twelve million on opening weekend. And it's it's, it's a, a ninety million dollar movie. I can't. I'm
0: surprised it's that much. I'm yeah. I'm not because. Eggers can't get that much money no. on it. It's just like it's such a giant jump yeah, from Lighthouse to that. So it's right. like, I'll definitely see it in theaters. Like, yeah. I, I want to see that in a big screen and definitely see just how Eggers works outside of the horror domain before he possibly goes back into it. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, is there, I mean, for me, it's actually, I think I've seen a little bit more than you have in terms of newer releases it's since rough. then. I mean... I mean, you did see Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Oh, I
1: did see, yeah, the Nicolas Cage movie. Another but, one I was not so hot on. Yes. it's okay. It's okay. it's fine. I, mm-hmm. I was disappointed because I was hoping it'd be great. Didn't yeah. necessarily expect it to be great, but was hopeful. Mm-hmm. Eh. mileage Which, may vary. I I could very easily see you liking it more than I did, that's, and that's totally fair.
0: It seems like most people are liking it more than you do. Yeah. So I mean, that's a yeah. good thing for I do the seem film. On the
1: on the more negative side, yeah.
0: But uh, hey, it's it's a bummer again that you didn't like it as much as you wanted it to. Yeah, but. Thankfully, I mean, on my end of things, I liked all the films I've seen so far. (laughs) Like, uh, uh, this week I'll have, because we're recording it live, as as usual. Right. By the time this is coming out, uh, I'll have two reviews out. Hmm. Uh, Well, on Monday I had The Bad Guys, which is the latest DreamWorks film. And that movie, I will say, I will admit that I think I'm higher on that than I think most people will be by the time they see it, if they haven't Um, seen it yet. The Bad Guys? Yeah, because I, I think I give it, like, a soft 8 out of 10. Uh-huh. And I think, it's, I think for most people, it'll be, like, a 7. Okay. And, but, like, to me, it's just, like, after, I think it's been, after, like, How to Train Your Dragon 3, which is, like, I think the last one I saw of their films in theaters since, you know, the pandemic, all the Trolls films, Croods <laughs> 2, Boss Baby yeah. 2, like, their films have just kind of dropped off in terms of interest, which, again, not a child. Right. Kids still fucking love Boss Baby, but it's just like, I, I've really just been a fan of DreamWorks' stuff for a good chunk of time with some spots here and there. And to see the bad guys, it was just like, oh, they've still got this. Like, they still <laughs> have the talent and they still have, like, the passion for it because it just yeah. feels... I, I'm just glad to feel the Into the Spider-Verse influence four years out of
1: it. Mm. Like... Right, right.
0: Not that it, like, looks exactly like the Into the Spider-Verse. No. It doesn't, but it's definitely the... It's a CG film, entirely 3D, that is using 2D accents and 2D kind of animation, kind of comic book style yeah, yeah. to give it more of a kind of like accenting it exaggeration. And it just perfectly works for a film based off of like a graphic novel series right. for kids. Right. And We've,
1: it's been really nice to see how... Spider-Verse has influenced animated movies in the years? I mean, yeah. just a few years since it came out. Yeah. Uh, we're just seeing more, I think, variety from the bigger animation studios. You yeah, know, like, I'm, I'm... Not everybody, DreamWorks isn't sticking with the same style all the time. No. Even Pixar's not, you know, with Turning Red, they had kind of a different art style. Well,
0: um, I mean, yeah, it's just like, it's, it's very think, nice to
1: just... That movie kind of pushed studios to feel like, oh, well, maybe we, we should could try that. stretch our legs mm-hmm. with animation a little bit.
0: I mean, you got a great cast. The film is about as straightforward as can be. It's it's so fast to the point that I think it is at its detriment at times. Oh, okay. Where it's just like, you you could have more time to kind of get into these characters, but also... Pro, it's like ninety minutes (laughs) sopping wet, so it's like you know we love
1: the the tight nineties on trilogy.
0: Absolutely, it's also the fact too that it's like any time where it's like oh this is like a liar revealed or misunderstanding thing, and it's like all right, it's pretty much done in like five minutes. (laughs) Like they're moving just so fast through the plot, and the cast is great, the story is wonderful. It very much has like. Uh you know, have you have you seen the energy? Have you seen the episode of Rick and Morty where they kind of shit on Oceans Eleven films, like yes, heist movies? Yeah. It's yes. like that, but not as cynical. Yeah. Where it's like very much a loving homage to like the heist film at okay, times. But and, like
1: poking fun at it, yeah. itself kind of
0: and, and the cast is great. I never thought Mark Maron as a curmudgeon-y snake would be like perfect, but yeah. it is he's great in the film. The cinematography is surprisingly like there are moments where it's like is this supposed to be a wonder? Like a one shot, like in an animated film, like the way that it's shot is almost like it's trying to be live action at times, which is kind of great. Yeah. And also Sam Rockwell. We love Sam Rockwell (laughs) here at Odd Trilogies. And his character, who's just called Wolf, is like the living embodiment of the DreamWorks face. Which if you don't know what that is, look it up. You'll know exactly what I mean. Is there's just this Snarkiness, yeah, dry this, smirk. Yeah, that just is not like a, it's not a Disney protagonist. It's not like the usual animated protagonist. He's just a snarky kind of goofball that is just very, very charismatic cause it's Sam Rockwell. Yeah. It was just a really fun time. It definitely was much needed on like a day like that where it's just like it was such a long day and going to see that. It was like, God, I'm so glad that DreamWorks is still making good movies. Yeah. <laughs> Which means, like, you know, they're making a Trolls 3, they're going to make a Boss Baby 3, you know. Future Odd trilogies? Probably not, but who knows. But (laughs) Never say never. (laughs) Never say never to those. I'd rather watch the Boss Baby trilogy than... uh, Another Barbie trilogy. Fucking The Nun or Annabelle. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But, yeah, it was just just a nice kind of breath of fresh air. And then after that, I saw, I I got a screener and I watched early, I saw Bubble... Netflix's latest anime film which has just got a big oh, studio yeah. behind it yeah it's for re- that it's really good okay. I do think it's like it's a very thin plot so mm. it's like at a certain point there's a lot of there is a lot of backstory at the very beginning because what it's trying to sell you on is like wait what what okay <laughs> okay oh okay what what okay and then by the time you get after that
1: It's pretty straightforward, but it's uh, a little difficult entry point.
0: Yeah, it's I mean, I guess the best way to describe it is that, you know, it's in a world where Tokyo is basically a desolate city because bubbles that just show out of nowhere that like cause explosions, change gravity, cause massive flooding just show up. And so now it's a story that basically is about orphans that live in desolate Tokyo (laughs) with inspiration from The Little Mermaid.
1: Yeah, <laughs> And that's okay. kind of the
0: story it is. It's a gorgeous film, like beautiful. The music is great. Like the score is great. The animation is fantastic. The action, the team behind it did Attack on Titan. So it's very clear oh, okay, yeah. that like anytime there's some like wild parkour shit in terms of the shots <laughs> and whatnot, it's like, they know what they're
1: doing. Right, it's fine.
0: right. But, yeah, you know, it was a lot of fun. I definitely would recommend it, especially if you love animation. Just give it a watch and just enjoy it. If it's not... Your favorite there's no surprise, but man, it's it was a lot of fun, and I watched it with my friend Patrick, and he cried. So I'm oh. glad that he was that emotionally <laughs> Patrick invested. Patrick, you
1: old soft serve.
0: I mean, I was ve- there at the very end. I was I was caught emotionally. It got me. It resonated with me just enough that yeah. it got me. So I do appreciate that. So it's it's definitely really good, and I hope Netflix, even though they are at a very low point at the moment yeah. <laughs> as a company, I do hope that they keep pushing kind of their anim- anime catalog more and more because. Sure. I'd like to see more of that getting out there.
1: Yeah. But well, speaking of um new anime releases, at least in the States, um, I kinda I haven't seen it yet, but I kinda wanna see that Pompo the Cinephile movie. Oh yeah. I just I,
0: I literally heard about it just yesterday, but yeah, it's getting
1: Yeah, I mean yeah. it's it it's at our local AMC oh, really? already. Yeah. Well, okay. Um, but yeah, I think it's just like a little kind of fun slice of life movie and kinda like an homage to movie lovers and that sort yeah. of thing. Um, but it it just looks cute and I was like oh that looks interesting
0: hell yeah well definitely have to look in that now and I think the last film I could talk about is Sonic the Hedgehog 2 (laughs) (laughs) this was one that was not intentionally something I wanted to see this week it was something that was like last minute but thought like you know why not Fuck it. You know, I saw the first one in theaters and did not hate it like
1: you did, which,
0: not saying you're wrong or anything, but I'm glad that I didn't go in and just be like, I fucking hate this.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I didn't go into it. No, I meant like coming coming
0: out of it being like, ugh. Okay. Yeah. No. But with this one, I mean, it's weird. It's very fucking weird because I would say if someone called this the best video game movie, I would say yes. Not because it is like objectively the best film about a video game, but it's
1: a really. Good if, adaptation. If of you the just like material. Sonic,
0: if you just like yeah. Sonic, you get it. Yeah, like it's is com- it what
1: uh, is it everything that uh, Warcraft fans called the Warcraft movie when it came out? Because Abs- I, I remember like, that movie. Everybody who didn't play Warcraft hated it, and everybody who played Warcraft loved it. I mean, and that's
0: the the opposite with Sonic the Hedgehog Two. Is like if even if you don't know what the fuck's happening in Sonic the Hedgehog Two, like if you're just aware of what Sonic is, uh-huh. like you're just kind of like. I think people will enjoy it enough. I mean, kids are kids. fucking love it. Like, yeah. it's hard not to, like, the The best part about watching it, too, is I watched it with my roommates and Adam, who's our mutual friend. Adam just has moments where, like, you know, when I'm still trying to process how I feel about a film, every now and again he'll have just a moment of clarity that just <laughs> makes me go, fuck, that's actually the best way to describe it. And he had it while we were watching the film where he just, he looked at me and went, this is kids today's Space Jam.
1: And that's exactly
0: how I kind of look at the Sonic films. Like, it is definitely, like, these are films that kids are going to love, will love for years, look back on it, realize they're not that good. But love them anyway. But have a nostalgic feeling, too. And I think with Sonic the Hedgehog 2, I think it's genuinely good. Not that good, but, like... it's fun. Yeah, like, it feels like they actually listen to people complain about the first film. And, well, (laughs) there's a lot more... There still is a decent amount of human stuff, and... It is nearly 2 hours. Well, it's actually it's supposed to be over 2 hours, but by the time the credits hit, I think it's like an hour 50. Oh, okay. It is still like God, the Sonic stuff, they finally go full blast into like, you know, <laughs> all the references, more action set pieces. Tails is adorable.
1: Yeah.
0: No. Idris as Knuckles is just like I loved him by the end of it. So for some <laughs> reason Idris's approach to it is just like he is a he, he is a straight up space himbo. He just like has no idea what anything is and Idris Seems to understand the assignment and just goes for it. Okay, and then Jim Carrey is doing exactly what he was doing he's, the first one. Yeah,
1: doing Jim Carrey. Like
0: he's he's going so full full blast to the point when when he was flossing at one point and didn't make me laugh at all. I still could appreciate just how much energy he was putting into the floss. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it's as someone who is I, I if I call myself a Sonic fan, I'm not that great at the games. So, but I've played a, a decent amount of them. Yeah. But like someone who is. Know enough of Sonic to like see, wow! They're actually putting this in. They're trying this. There's a mid-credit scene that nearly made me fucking gasp because I was yeah. like, I cannot believe we're gonna get to this oh, in a movie. I know what that is, yeah. yeah. But the fact <laughs> that like that's a thing, like that's yeah, a, right. the fact that that's gonna be in a movie, and it's like they're gonna do that yeah. in like a eighty million dollar <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> like blockbuster film. That's insane. But like overall, I mean, it's just a it's a fun time. More likely than not, it'll be on Paramount Plus by the end of May, maybe early June, because it seems like they're gonna have they've been doing like, forty five days after theaters so they put it on there.
1: Okay, yeah. But
0: like, we're getting apparently a Knuckles show. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we're getting a Sonic right. the Hedgehog three. The the director is so like confident and so excited about the films that he would like to do a Smash Brothers film. Like, oh, I saw that. Yeah, it's like it's so wild well, to see with like Mario
1: around the corner.
0: It's so wild to see that since Sonic the One did so much better than anyone could have imagined, yeah. everyone behind <laughs> these films are just like, "We're gonna run with it. We're gonna run as fast as we can. And if we <laughs> crash and burn, we're gonna at least do as much as we can in the process." <laughs> but yeah, I mean that's it was a fun. It was a fun surprise. It was definitely, it's like a, it's like a solid six. Mm. You know, it's definitely better than the first film. But I'm not. It's not the best kids film out right now. Right. Right. <laughs> but uh, a
1: good time at the movies.
0: Honestly, I mean especially if you're just like if you're going in it even ironically, you do you ultimately <laughs> like have some good f- like there's one moment. Uh I will this is a this will be a spoiler to a degree, but it's not it's fucking Sonic the Hedgehog yeah. 2. The funniest thing in, in in the film to me is there's a scene where James Marsden, because James Marsden's character is at a wedding the entire film. So you know, oh, wacky the entire egg. film? For the majority of the film. I just assumed that was like the no, opener. No, for the majority of the film, his subplot pertains to the wedding. <laughs> and uh, there's a moment where he's like t- hanging out with his wife and like the groom and his groomsmen are all like basically super buff boys that are like, you know, spraying champagne all over because okay. it's the groom's wedding and whatnot. And just like, you know, pumping each other up with their shirts off. And then it cuts to James Marsden and he goes... I wish Sonic had something like that. It is the funniest what? thing. Cause it's like, he's basically saying, I just want Sonic to have friends. Right. Right. But the fact that like he sees that. And that's what a, he thinks. Yeah, just, just yeah. a bunch of guys being super overly masculine around each other. They're like making <laughs> dog noises and like spraying champagne. And he's going like, I wish my blue son had friends. It's just, <laughs> <laughs> it's so unapologetically. Like this feels like this is meant to be funny. Yeah. <laughs> and if it's not, I'm glad that it's still in the film. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's again, like we said, it's a good time to be in theaters. And speaking of talking about theater stuff, in the future, uh, well, I just found out today about this, and Andy has no idea what I'm about to say. I'm in the dark. But I know he's going
1: to love it. Logan because... took away my computer and wouldn't let me look <laughs> at
0: things. But um, in recent movie news, I think the only recent movie news I've seen that, like, actually surprised me and got me excited, the uh, Korean director uh, Park, Park Chan-wook, oh, yeah. who is known for Old Boy... The Handmaiden, which if you haven't seen either one of those mm. films, both films are phenomenal. Highly recommend. His next film is uh, currently, I think, was chosen for Cannes. Mm-hmm. We've already gotten like a description about the film. It's, I think it's a, it's a detective drama. I'm super excited to see yeah. it. It's announced today that MUBI, the streaming service for art films, has actually bought the distribution rights for the film. Oh, wow. And is actually going to distribute the film in North America in the fall. Huh. So cool. it's like, yeah, so it's like Mubi, which is mainly known as kind of like a niche kind of art house Streamer, uh, streaming service yeah. it, that's been doing really well because it is a niche that people like and yeah, yeah. people like love Criterion, Criterion. So like, you stuff, know, yeah. it's, and especially now with like, you know, Netflix getting less and less shit that I think people want to see Mubi having kind of like a uh, kind of like a catalog that they con- like constantly kind of like cultivate yeah. and change and whatnot. The fact that Mubi is now just like going with like the biggest i think the biggest decision the company's made picking up a film like that and doing like a full yeah so like that's i'm super excited for that cool yeah and i i think that's about it i think that we should just get right into it i'm i'm curious to see if even we talk about the films it'll be as long as we've been talking about yeah i was gonna say (laughs) if if it
1: feels we went, we ran a little long in the intro it's probably because we don't have two terribly much to talk about at least about two out of three of these yeah. movies
0: so let's get into it hello yeah. everyone i'm logan Sowash.
1: and i'm andy carr
0: and this is odd trilogies with ogil and andy and on odd trilogies we take a trio of films where they're timed by number cast and crew thematic elements etc we go through each film and we talk about the good the bad and the weird surrounding them and the dark In the dark because today you know this, the flowers are still blossoming. You know, the, the allergies are still very seasonal. Oh yes. And indeed, the gore is still there. Maybe a little less than usual, but <laughs> a spring of Raimi is still commence. And now, now that we've done the Evil Dead trilogy, we are now talking about the next trilogy in Sam Raimi's catalog, the Darkman trilogy.
1: Yeah, this is the second in our series of three episodes covering movies related to or directly made by Sam Raimi, um, leading up to, of course, and in time with uh, his new Marvel movie, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse yeah. of Madness.
0: And what better way to you know get excited for his you know most recent comic book film than talking about a film that basically feels like his version of a comic strip film? Yeah, even though it's an entirely original character. We are talking about 1990s Darkman, 1995's Darkman 2, The Return of Durant. Iconic. And 1996's Darkman 3, Die, Darkman Die. Beautiful. Which Sam Raimi, we we said it last episode, but Sam Raimi only did the first film, right? Which don't worry, you can definitely tell if you watch this trilogy. <laughs> I think he's
1: still technically credited as a executive producer on both, both films because Robert Tapered is too. Yeah, but he's not directly involved because mm-hmm, he is on the first one
0: around the, yeah, because around the time that both Darkman two and Man three come out is when if you listen to our dramas of Sam Raimi episode, he was doing the Quick and the Dead as well as kind of in development. Uh, yeah. I think we're doing a simple. Is it a simple, a simple plan? plan? Yeah, a simple yeah. plan. Yeah, so he like, was
1: stretching his genre legs.
0: He was doing a Western while someone else was taking like, the direct-to, direct-to-video yeah. route with Somebody his Darkman film. was films.
1: franchising his original superhero yeah. idea. But
0: in case, I mean, you don't know what Darkman is. Darkman is a 1990 film that is basically Sam Raimi doing his own version of the comic strip character. Because at the time, due to 1989's Batman being a massive success... Pretty much every studio was just trying to take any comic strip character. Does not matter if it yeah. is a character that no one gave a fuck any about in nineteen. Pulpy hero character. Yeah, yeah, any character that could give them, you know, that Batman money and started putting it in production. So you get, you know, the Phantom with Billy Zane. You oh, get yeah. the Shadow with Alec Baldwin. You even get Warren Beatty's Wild <laughs> Dick Tracy out yeah. of something like that in the nineties, but. Before all that, because I think, yeah, I think it's the Dark Man is before all that. Mm-hmm. Around that time. Well, yeah, because
1: he's less than a year yeah. out from Batman.
0: Yeah, because basically Universal wants their own version of that. Sam Raimi wants to make a Shadow film, but the Shadow is. they Universal does not have the rights. They're already playing yeah. it in
1: development. Some, somebody had it in development with Bob Zemeckis at, at the, the time. I
0: think so, yeah. Yeah. So Raimi decided, I'm going to make my own version of the Shadow, but give him more of a. Basically a universal monster movie kind of backstory. And so basically created a character that is a scientist that was wronged by, you know, a crime syndicate and an evil real estate man. Right. And has burns across his body, but he's the type of scientist that knows how to create synthetic skin. So he becomes a man that could become anybody. He could do anything. He could become you, me. He, but he ultimately becomes Darkman.
1: Yeah. He's a superhero whose superpower is... Science. Well, it's <laughs> it's the Mission Impossible masks. That's, yep. that's his main shtick.
0: Well, not even just that. Another thing, too, that's so funny about his character is they don't really address it that much. They do talk about it, but... His quote-unquote superpowers, oh, besides the fact his, that he... His physical abilities, yeah, yeah. is the fact that due to the fact that he was burned on, I think they say 40% of his body, but his body was fucked. It looks like the whole thing. It was crisp. <laughs> yeah. I saw that body fall, fly into the air. There's no yeah. way that was 40% of his body. But due to the amount of burns that he sustained on his body, they had to cut the thalamic nerve yeah. in his neck, so he can't feel pain. Right. Which means, since he cannot feel pain, all of his other senses are going super in overdrive which means yeah. psychologically he's just like when he gets mad he just goes full-blown rage mode and almost becomes like the most human version of the hulk anyone could yeah become.
1: he, he kind of just goes into a berserker rage
0: yeah he just basically he, he can like, basi- pick
1: people up and throw people break and
0: people's fingers like they're nothing yeah, like
1: it's like they're hot dog fingers yes and everything everywhere all at once
0: like it's just a he is very much in the same style as a 30s monster movie as well as like a 30s to 40s comic strip. Yeah. and Which is perfect a, because... A perfect
1: fit for Universal.
0: I mean, yeah, perfect fit for Universal and also ends up being a perfect amount of time to make a film surrounding that because the film I don't even think is a year from the Batman. No, from yeah, Bird's it's like less Batman. than a year. It was yeah, a quick so, turnaround. Yeah, so in our last episode when we talked about Army of Darkness, basically he made a deal... The, the Sam, Ra- Sam Raimi made a deal with Universal to make Darkman, and if Darkman did well, he could basically kind of make whatever he wanted to a certain degree. Yeah. Universal said, "We'll fit the bill if you want to make something else," which ultimately led to the Army of Darkness. Mm-hmm. But before then, he had to make Darkman, and Darkman is a fourteen million dollar superhero film that is just proto spider man Is one of the best ways to put it in yeah. terms of like the way that he he ultimately it's it's kind of wild to think that this is the first time he does a non-horror film. Yeah. Like, this is a... It is comedic. It is meant to be silly. hmm But it's the film that really shows that, like, Raimi realizes when it comes to superheroes, specifically with, you know, Darkman and ultimately the Spider-Man. And curiously, we'll see if Doctor Strange kind of fits this bill too, where it's right. like... You, as the director, can have, like, a more of a tongue-in-cheek vibe to the material, especially how it's shot and... You know the composition. You know all the the goofy stuff you can do. However, the characters have to take it dead serious. Yeah. It's their world. It only works if the characters truly believe in what they're going through. If you're too tongue in cheek yeah. in the actual world, people lose immersion. People yeah, it's, lose interest. It's
1: knowing melodrama.
0: Yeah, and so Darkman is this goofy, wild film that has some of the. <laughs> Really Um,
1: weird shots and yeah. There's
0: there is the shot that sticks in my head that is just definitely like you can see it in a comic strip, but the fact that they that Sam does this in the film is insane. Where Frances McDormand plays the love interest in the film, and in the film, the scene where she sees Darkman die and thinks that he is dead, the scene just automatically just fades into a cemetery. Immediately, Yeah, it's like, new it's like she's on a green screen she's and in a green they, screen. they like
1: fade her yeah. from the streets watching the tragedy into the cemetery. It's
0: very, very, like, it's very, it's very play-esque. Yeah, almost. it's very play-esque.
1: It also really, I mean, it it does feel like a director at that time trying to interpret, like, comic panels into, like, comic yeah. book narrative structure, visual narrative into a film. Um, yeah, and it's, ra- it's kind of a cool shot It's a wonky shot Just because of the outdated yes, tech it's, But it's an interesting shot yeah. And there's a lot of that in the movie
0: There's also a shot where Darkman Is on a truck While he's holding on to a helicopter And his feet go <laughs> Roadrunner And for like a brief moment <laughs> yeah. And it's he's wild. Doing the like Scooby-Doo Shaggy yeah. run But again, everyone takes it super seriously So it's not like it. People don't bat an eye yeah, about it
1: yeah. Well, and we, I should say That helicopter sequence it's a climactic scene where he's, he's dangling from the from a helicopter that scene is awesome it's that's so, like a really fun slick well done action unique. sequence for a 12 million or 14 million dollar movie mm-hmm. um yeah i I thought that was that scene was awesome and like you really see like okay Raimi has the chops to do this kind of bigger scale thing and, yeah. and handle this kind of larger scope.
0: And it's I mean, it's great. It's it very much is just I think the film overall is very, very good. I yeah. think it is it definitely shows that like what he puts into this film helps him a lot in terms of being able to sell to, you know, Sony. I could do Spider Man if you wanted me to. I could do this. I mean, to the point where there are shots in Dark Man that are reused for montage yeah. shots in Spider Man. <laughs> like it's very clear that working on a studio film like that in such a short amount of time using his budget to the fullest, even with the amount of issues he had with the studio at the time, the movie is, on a $14 million budget, makes about $50 million, I think, total. Yeah. Which, again, yeah, it doesn't sound a lot, especially nowadays when it comes to, like, a superhero film, but at the time, for, like, a super original, you know, superhero that is from the guy that did Evil Dead yeah. for a studio, and it, especially for a rated R film, because the film is rated R, even though it really doesn't need to be. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's it's not. I mean, I guess with just like the grisly images of yeah. burned dark man and some of the violence is not, I wouldn't consider it R-rated, but it's no. edgier than your average kind of superhero It thing. is
0: very violent, though, in terms of like there's an entire scene where Liam Neeson is being interrogated, and by interrogated he is getting his head shoved into every glass <laughs> oh, yeah. pantry door that he has. That's yeah, just brutal. It's brutal as hell, but it's so good. It's 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 so well done. And there's some great yeah. there's some great shots. Like one of the best shots to me of the film is that he pretends to be like one of the mob bosses, like, you know, henchmen and pretends like he's stealing money, like he steals money and like pins it on this guy, and this guy basically dies, gets thrown out of a building, he hits a car, this woman screams and sees this guy die, and then turns around and Dark Man yeah. looks exactly like that guy. Yeah. And it freaks her the fuck out. She's having a midlife crisis in front of us.
1: Yeah, I thought that was a really cool aspect of the movie—the him being in multiple disguises and and ultimately like the number of actors that play Darkman at very various points in the movie because because he's wearing yeah the faces of other people. So mm-hmm. they have those actors play him. I just I really like that element. Um, oh
0: yeah, in the in the fact that it's like you know this is. Right before this is literally three years before Liam Neeson is Schindler, yeah. is Oscar Schindler in Schindler's list. He's still he's so unknown that he is not really anyone's choice until he auditions for the role. Right. But
1: because um, uh Raimi wanted Bruce, right? Yeah.
0: Unsurprisingly to nobody is yeah. that he wanted Bruce to be Dark Man and the studio went no <laughs> just immediate, just like no. Who is that? No one cares. And it it's like, oh fine fuck you. I'm gonna put Bruce in anyway. Yeah, which is funny too, because the whole because at the very end of the film, Dark Man kind of tries to go into hiding because he doesn't want his his love interest to get in trouble anymore. Yeah, he so he's going separates back, himself you know, from everything he believes he's a monster, so he goes into the shadows basically. And instead of being Liam Neeson, it's Bruce Campbell's face because it's Dark Man hiding amongst the crowd. And I think to a degree, if this is true, it would not surprise me. That Raimi did that just to be like, if you make sequels, yeah, right. Bruce will be the v-
1: <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and you
0: know what happens? They got not Bruce. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, and they, yeah.
0: Well, in all honesty, it's also for the better because the sequels yeah, that, that are not be yeah, they're not
1: great. So yeah, uh, I mean, um, but I mean, yeah, no, I think uh, I think also um, uh, Bruce's character there at the end is credited as uh, final shemp. Yes. Which is just like a fun little nod to old trope, fake shemp, like yes. from uh, mm-hmm. Three Stooges.
0: Yeah, Three Stooges, and it's—I mean, it just—it's just, Remy is so cheeky. It's yeah. just the best. I mean, that's the best part too about him. When it feels like, even in the films that I would say, I don't even know what his worst film
1: would be. Is it Spider-Man Three? I would say it's probably a toss-up between For Love of the Game and Spider-Man Three.
0: Oh, that's right. It's For Love of the Game, Spider-Man Three. Yeah, because Oz the Great and Powerful. For Love not of the Game
1: bad. is his most boring movie yes that i've seen Mm -hmm.
0: but that's the Uh, thing too is crazy like with that in mind like even if someone said spider-man 3 even in spider-man 3 you see a lot of raimi
1: oh yeah there's absolutely yeah like chunks of great movie in spider-man 3 and i don't know that there's chunks of great movie in for love of the game (laughs)
0: no for love of the game is pretty clearly a studio job that he is doing his best to kind of Make in his own way, but it's really yeah. just like a no, Raimi, don't be silly. It's, he only gets
1: a couple moments to like yeah. do Raimi stuff,
0: yeah, because it's, it's more of a Kevin Costner film than a Raimi yeah, film right. at that point. And yeah, I guess it's for the love of the game. I it shows that that's the worst film because I keep forgetting that we watched that for the, for that earlier. Yeah, we talked about it, <laughs> yeah, we literally talked about it on Monday too yeah. when, when, we re, when we watched yeah. all these films, and I still forgot we had the conversation, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Dark Man is just. Really good. Yeah, it, it's it's a, very it's solid.
1: It's a real. Yeah, it's a gem that I think more people should mm-hmm. watch. And I mean, at this point, it definitely has cult status, but like, I think even its kind of cult following is a little bit less prominent than it deserves. Yeah. Um, and especially it's... when you think about just, I mean, how much. I mean, this is its own movie, definitely, and it's cool, really cool in its own way, but there's also so much of. Um, 2002 spider-man in this movie and like Raimi isms that at the time weren't iconic or influential but would later become iconic and influential through the spider-man movies so you really see him uh, you know working out some of his his Mm -hmm. ideas in this movie and it's really cool as kind of that sort of relic
0: if you think of a, a Raimi film that has inspirations of just you know Kind of has like that that face off vibe of like you know the identity theft yeah. kind of thing, even though it's before face off. You know, we've well, got the invisible man idea. We
1: can talk face off when we get to number three. Um, there's yes. a tie there.
0: Yes, uh, <laughs> we've got a uh, you know invisible man inspirations because pretty much the majority of the film, uh, Liam Neeson is wrapped in bandages because you know Darkman is so horribly disfigured, right? Almost to the point where every time he talks, he obviously has no lips. He cannot enunciate, so it's funny when he speaks. <laughs> 'Cause it just like it looks like a puppet yeah <laughs> talking, which he's doing his best. Yeah. Especially that one time where he goes, <laughs> <and> it's, like, <laughs> it's so fucking funny. But yeah, it's it's a very it's a straightforward again, like we said earlier, tight ninety. We love him. Yeah. Film about a guy that's trying to get revenge and trying not to become the monster that the monsters turned him into and ultimately he fails at yeah. that. He I mean the biggest issue with the film to me is the fact that like what ends up being the final villain is just he's so very little in the film, the real estate yeah, guy.
1: yeah, he's just a business mogul. Mm-hmm. it's it it's like a, you know, a fight on a on top of a building. and it's like, mm-hmm. why 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 is this businessman up on top of this building? I mean, it
0: wouldn't really surprise me if this film was supposed to be closer to two hours, but due to the issues that Ramy had with the down. studio in terms of like trimming it down, yeah. trying to make it work because like if you if you think back, Andy, like the whole thing about the film too, is the majority of the film is just, one by one dark man getting revenge on each and every single henchman that killed him yeah and in the the final product there is a single henchman that doesn't die there's a single henchman that just disappears from the film and it it's pretty clear that there was probably something shot of him dying and getting revenge but like he just yeah. disappears from a certain part of the film it's the guy with the fake leg
1: oh right he just right. he just disappears from yeah. the film
0: <laughs> he just like there's there's a guy in the film that is who has a gun in his fake leg classic <laughs> Ramy shit right there right. and he's hobbling and wobbling every time someone takes his leg and about halfway through the film you just realize oh the the guy with no leg is just not in the film anymore because they probably didn't have enough time yeah and due to like maybe a studio mandate couldn't fit all of the deaths and all the revenge in so they just kind of had to use what they had right and with what we have we have you know ted Ramy getting his head squished by a car you get like yeah. a a great joke about you know getting you know have a nice have a nice flight and then someone <laughs> getting thrown out of a window, uh-huh. you get that helicopter scene which has this rad explosion, right. with a character that for some reason is totally fine in the next film. Yeah, <laughs> I mean you get a you get a very solid tight ninety that is obviously like there could have been
1: more that they could have developed. There could have been this because there definitely was like more yeah because to it. Because, and, because I mean they battled with the with Universal on the final edit of yeah. it because I think. Universal, like Universal, brought in their own editor, um, yeah, to cut the movie, and didn't want Sam involved in that process at all because they wanted yeah. to like cut it down as much as they could. I think yeah. they had it like eighty minutes or something. The rumor
0: was that like yeah, Raimi shot it in a way. That, like, he he wanted to shoot it in a way that, like, only he could understand the madness. <laughs> so that but only you, he could edit it. Yeah, but Universal didn't give a shit, so they hired a... They basically tried to lock him out of the editing room. But the rumor yeah. is, the story goes, is that anytime the editor wasn't in the room, Sam was in there. And he yeah. messed with the edit and fixed everything well, that the editor did.
1: Yeah, uh, Robert Taper, the producer who uh-huh. worked with Raimi before... And all the Evil Dead films, too, yeah, I think. He actually, I don't know when this was, did an interview with the Hollywood reporter mm-hmm. um, in which he described how basically they got to like the final um, weekend before like the first screening was mm-hmm. going to happen. Um, and the, the studio was like, we can't save this movie. It's screwed. Let's lock the picture. Um, and that was like on a Friday and he and Sam came in over the weekend and basically spent 48 hours entirely recutting the movie like the movie was supposed to they weren't touching it It the friday Mm -hmm. the end of the work week was done the movie was done they came in on the weekend re-edited the entire movie added like 10 minutes back into the movie of stuff they wanted Uh and then monday everybody came back in and the producers were like well what is this like, he's like, well, film? it's the film and we don't have time to do anything. So he basically just forced yeah. his way into it.
0: But I think there's also a thing, too, that like, it was, I think, the worst tested film screening-wise for Universal at yeah, the time. Yeah, they
1: did like four or five test screenings and yeah. they all tested terribly. Yeah. And, it,
0: and then it was like, it wasn't until they added Elfman's score that it just, it just clicked for a lot of people. Where it's yeah. like, oh, this is what the film's trying to do because the film had no score in those <laughs> test screenings.
1: Which that is fucking funny to think of. I can't imagine watching a movie like this without music.
0: Yeah, getting Elfman's like super nightmare before Christmas, but also obviously Batman score. Yeah, (laughs) in this like you know tragic monster, but also superhero story, just works really well, and definitely gives the film more of an oomph that it definitely needs. And yeah, yeah, it's just just it's just it's a solid seven and a half. It's a strong seven, seven and a half out of ten. It's
1: good, cool.
0: Oh yeah, weird little movie. God, and and Liam Neeson. Ah, he's so good. He's so good in the movie. He is. Yeah, there's literally like
1: raw Liam Neeson, like not not the you know cliche stoic badass that we know today from all of his yeah action thrillers. If
0: you ever thought the guy that was in Taken would ever do like you know a two second shot of his head in a marionette puppet just pretending to be a marionette (laughs) puppet in a shot that really is just has no is inconsequential, but just makes you goes, was that Liam Neeson with his head in a puppet? What the (laughs) fuck is that? And the fact that he commits to that is great. The fact that he commits to the universal monster angle, you know, the rage. I mean, one of the funniest parts that both Andy and I is there's there's a scene where he tries to get a pink elephant for Francis McDormand's character. And the guy won't let him have it, and so he just fucking breaks the guy's fingers in rage, takes the doll, and basically turns to Francis McDormand and goes, "Take the fucking elephant." Yeah, <laughs> and it's so funny the way he says it. Yeah, because it's obviously Darkman. <laughs> well, yeah, him. right.
1: And immediately after that, he has that scene that we kept laughing about, where uh, he flees from Francis. Yeah, because his runs... face was starting to bubble yeah, and kind of melt. melt. He had like a he has a ninety nine minute time limit. Yeah, because. He's his named liquid skin.
0: He names himself Dark Man because his liquid skin can only last 99 minutes in the sun. And so there's
1: one line where he goes, I wonder what the darkness holds, right. the secrets that it has. <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah. so silly. After he gets her the elephant, he runs off as his face starts melting. And she goes after him. And at one point, she's like running down the street. Oh, God. And he comes running like in the almost in the background. It's like a distant wide shot he comes running over this like catwalk of this factory across the road. And you just hear Liam Neeson very faintly going, <laughs> just like running with his jacket over his face. It's just a hilarious yeah. image.
0: It's also funny too, that like Ramey is the kind of guy that just knows kind of how to piece together and knows just like, we just, I, this is how it just needs to get done. We can definitely do it. And no one will really notice until yeah. like, you know, the third or fourth time people watch it. Cause it's like the ADR on this film is very fascinating. Cause it's, Bruce Campbell has said that he did ADR on this film other than just one scene at the yeah. end for Darkman. Right. And I don't know what would be funnier, the fact that that would be Liam Neeson making the boo hoo noises running away <laughs> or it's Bruce Campbell Bruce pretending Campbell. to be Liam Neeson yeah. doing the boo hoo noises. <laughs> I know for a fact because uh YouTuber's Riddler Media brought this up and it's hard not to notice once they bring it, once you see it. But there's a in the helicopter scene there is a helicopter a police helicopter that follows them and there is a black cop that is on screen for like two seconds maybe 10 total like in two scenes and it is absolutely sam Raimi's voice coming out of that cop (laughs) it is not his voice because it's just like that just sounds like sam that does it's one of those things where it's like it's not really that much of a dissonance but if you're just sitting there
1: listening it comes out of nowhere yeah
0: it just sounds like a guy from michigan <laughs> <laughs> like a like a white guy from michigan that <laughs> made the evil dead yeah and it's so funny to think they're like yeah they're in that probably that point in the booth where it's like we got to have this adr of him him yelling julie so bruce just yell julie in your best dark man i'll do the <laughs> cop i'll do this and yeah. it's just a it's just so funny to think that he's even at a, as a studio level at that time he was still making it as if it was a independent film. They <laughs> was using yeah, right, his own money for right. getting money for and yeah, yeah, that's Darkman. The Yeah. It's 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 a blast. It's definitely if you've never seen it and you know Raimi's other works, especially his Spider-Man films, definitely give it a watch.
1: Yeah. It's, it's fun. kind of a proto proto Spider-Man proto superhero movie, honestly. Um but yeah, it's uh I know we we call ourselves odd trilogies, but yeah, this episode was just about one movie since they didn't make any more <laughs> sequels so. Thanks for listening.
0: So, when we were watching these films, we, we've we've made this joke, I think, on air a lot. But, like, there's there are times where it's like, you know, maybe this is fine if it's a shorter episode. Yeah, right. <laughs> because what, the thing about the Darkman trilogy is that, you know, Sam was busy doing actual other studio films. He makes Army of Darkness a- <laughs> after this. Actual movies. He's, make, he's making Army of Darkness after this. He makes The Quick and the Dead during the sequels being made. It's pretty clear that Universal wanted to make more sequels, but you know, Sam's busy, doesn't probably want to come back and do those, and they can't get Bruce Campbell to come back, even though they probably tried to get him back for at least the first sequel, but he was busy doing other things, thank God. Yeah. Because I don't think he could even save these types of films. <laughs> no. But what we get as the t- second and third entry in this odd trilogy are interchangeable, forgettable films.
1: Direct-to-video that are, video films. they are
0: direct-to-video in 95 and 96 that are genuinely so like genuinely bad to the point of like, I don't think they had a DVD release until like a decade after <laughs> they came out and on um, yep. direct DVD Div- until they came out in video, right? And then they just like went out of circulation, and then didn't get a Blu-ray release until like <laughs> a decade after that. <laughs> like Darkman yeah. is of course like, that is the film that people go like, oh, are you a real fan of Sam Raimi? Well, maybe you yeah. haven't seen this. Like it was right, one of those films right. that people would use in that kind of like, you know, gatekeeping, like yeah. this is my Sam Raimi card. I've seen dark man, that kind yeah. of thing. But like dark man two and three are just think of like the, the most four out of 10, five out of 10 version of a sequel.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and that's what
0: both films are.
1: Well, and you, you noted how interchangeable they are. And yes. that's partly because of how bland and bad and boring and, and pale in comparison to the first one they are. Um, The other part of that is that they literally use large chunks of the same exact footage and were shot at the same time, and their releases were flip-flopped. The third film was meant to be the second film, and the second film meant to be the third film. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's just a lot of bleed-over between the movies and a lot of, like, I feel like this is all one story um, kind of thing. Uh,
0: Yeah, the most interesting part about these sequels is, reportedly they shot these both in like a couple like several months back to back yeah you know to the point where like it's hard not to watch the third film in any time that there's like literally no dark man like yes there's dark man pretending to be somebody but the actor playing dark man's not on screen it's hard not to be like <laughs> oh he was probably shooting two at the time yeah, they were he was shooting busy this busy shooting three. Three. the other movie yeah like it's very clear that like there are long stretches in both films where it's just like Not about Darkman. It is about like you know Darkman pretending. So it's another actor pretending to be Darkman.
1: Oh, worth noting, um, Liam is replaced by Arnold Vosloo, uh, who goes on to play um, the I can't remember his name. Emotep. Emotep in the the Mummy movies. Which we talked about that a while.
0: Hey, look, we're we're tying ourselves up on accident almost every time we do a trilogy. We're eventually
1: going to have to start doing odd trilogies episodes about trilogies of odd trilogies (laughs) episodes. So.
0: That hurt my brain just thinking <laughs> about how we'd make that as, like, an April Fool's Well, we're thing. already
1: doing a trilogy of trilogies for Spring of Sam Raimi, Yeah, so we're, it like, it two degrees away.
0: Pretty much. But, yeah, Arnold Vosloo, who is, I would say, genuinely great, as Emotep in those first two Mummy
1: films. I thought you were about to say in these.
0: No. It, the thing, too, is, like, it is very clear that they, that at the time, the studio, he was probably very solid in auditions, but it just had no idea how to use him. Yeah. Because it's it's not even, like... You you would think about like especially when you like think of you know sequels for animated films or even sequels of other stuff where it's like you get somebody that just looks like the last person. Yeah. Like even something like with Teen Wolf two where it's like that character is not meant to be Michael J Fox but they made sure Jason Bateman looks as close to <laughs> Michael J Fox. You as get you can the make
1: same Jason vibe. Bateman. Yeah. Not not the case here. It's
0: vastly different person.
1: Arnold Vosloo is an entirely different energy. And looks yes. and attitude. He he entirely lacks that like raw rage feeling of Liam Neeson's performance. Yeah, he, it's this very much more kind of classed up, smoothed over, kind of yeah. imposing, deep voiced man. Type I thing.
0: am a hero, but oh, also yeah. monster. And it's just <laughs> yeah. it's very much a guy that is trying his best and yeah, it just, probably trying just trying to put isn't... his own
1: stamp on it. And yeah, I, I would yeah. say it's it's not Good, but I also don't really hold that against him as an actor because the whole movie, both of these movies are a mess in every other way. I Um, mean,
0: I I guess the question is for you because we're basically going to talk about 2 and 3
1: interchangeably. Yeah, right.
0: But, like, you know, just to get a, a brief synopsis, in Darkman 2, The Return of Durant... Uh, Durant returns he's like the main henchman guy in the first film his big thing is that we
1: didn't even name him in the first yeah well it's because
0: we're going to talk about him in this one where it's like he's the most iconic out of all the henchmen in the first film because he's got a he he's got a thing for when he kills someone he takes their pinkies he likes he takes a cigar cutter yeah he has a cigar cutter that he plays with a lot and he prefers having trophies of everyone he's killed. Right, and is it's very much just like that's a classic kind of like it's main a henchman villain thing. calling card thing. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, did he? Is there a pinky on that hand? That type of thing. And in the first film, he's full blown dead. There's no fucking way that man lives a helicopter he's crash that you see in a
1: helicopter that rams into an overpass and explodes in a giant fireball yeah. like at full speed. Even even. <laughs> If, and it's a gargantuan if somebody survived, they would be just horrifically mangled beyond repair. Yeah.
0: And cut to Return of Durant, since it's a directed video sequel. He has very much Riverdale-esque scars all over his face, as if that even They're, like, very
1: flimsy. He's got, like, three scars on he's his face. He's also
0: in, like, an Arnold Schwarzenegger, Mr. Freeze-esque, like, bed... Yeah. ...that he's been they, in a coma for for five years. Some kind of
1: cryogenic resuscitation with, chamber. With
0: all of his henchmen that we've never seen, because all the henchmen he had in the first film are dead, so we just now have to see these random people he that I a guess are a part of his team. He had
1: a dynasty. He had a dynasty, Logan.
0: Yeah. It's just, like... And then, and so in the sequel, he comes back to life. He tries to get revenge on Dark Man.
1: Oh, he buys some laser guns from a scientist. Yeah,
0: he makes he makes laser guns,
1: or he has laser guns made. Yes, uh, yes, and then sells them to the police. I
0: think from... no, he sells it to like a Texas senator.
1: Oh, yeah, that's right. It's like
0: because I think, or like at least a, I think he's from Texas. I think it's supposed to be like a. A, a Texas, like you know, congressman or something yeah. like that. No, it's it's a leader. It's the leader of the KKK in the South. What? Cause, yeah, because because they're two skinhead guys, and I think oh. that at one point they say that they're part of the uh, KKK. Yeah, I. And totally, it, it could be a con- it could have been could have been political commentary about a Texas congressman who's also part of the you know all uh, yeah. right.
1: Well, there there's an element of like oh with all these crime on with all the crime on these streets and we're we're disarming our police. No, yeah. we need to arm back up with laser guns.
0: Yeah, it's, I think there's also, like, an alt-right joke that's made, which in 1995, wow, I guess good well, on them for that I'm try. I'm sure they do
1: not say alt-right. I think they did. What? Or something like that. I didn't even think that was a term then. I don't know. I just, I
0: just remember there was a joke that was so specifically, like, obviously going after, like, you know, just, you know, extreme right, like extreme yeah. conservative, and it's like, I can't believe they said that in 95. I didn't know that was a term. Could have been something else, but right, yeah. That's the second film, and then the third film. There's just a a drug kingpin that is just introduced out of nowhere, played by Jeff Fahey, who is much better as a
1: main villain He's compared to Kooky is all hell, yes. and that that adds a lot to this movie yes. that the second one lacks. He is He's he a is cartoony, silly, crazy villain.
0: He is digesting the scenery by the last thirty minutes, and I I can't help it, you know
1: appreciate that. The other element of it too is that they they the third movie does kind of a face-off thing in that yes. there are extended periods where Darkman is disguised as the villain and so you've got the villain played by Jeff Fahey pretending to be Darkman pretending to be the villain. Interacting with the villain's family. Mm-hmm. Uh, realizing this is the life he wants. He, yeah. he wants to be have have people to come home to and love and I that think... sort of thing. And it's funny, too, because this movie, the third movie, is written by the same two guys who wrote Face Off. Is it really? Yes. I had no the idea. The same pair of guys. Um, well, you had a surprise for me as much as <laughs> a surprise for you. Wow. Yeah, Mike, Mike Werb and Michael Cal- Caliri, um phenomenal. a year before Face Off. Oh. So this is like their... I don't know spec treatment oh for face off
0: makes it so much better <laughs> yeah
1: cause yeah I mean I would argue it's like very much face off light but mm-hmm. there's
0: so many parallels what's so fucking funny about these sequels too is like the second film is biggest issue with the second film is just like it just is is just boring Like, it just is, like, at a certain point... The second film's like a nothing movie. Yeah, if you're wondering, like, gee, how do you make... What do you make Darkman's arc after the first film when the first film kind of ends on a sad note when he realizes, I'm a monster now. Yeah. I've become the thing I didn't ever want to become. I'm not... I can't be a person anymore. I'm just Darkman. And you're like, how do you make an arc like that anymore? In the second film, his arc is just... He finds a scientist who also is really good at, you know, skin, like, synthetic skin... That scientist dies, and so he's just on a revenge path again. It's just not as good as the first yeah. one. But then you get to the third film, which we haven't even talked about the fact that the film was... It was advertised at the time. Darkman 3 was advertised at the time that the plot was going to be a drug kingpin gains control of Darkman through reconnecting his <laughs> thalmic nerve. Yeah. And so every time he tries not to do what the kingpin says... They shock him his Thal nerve, so he feels pain again. Right. In the actual film, which is barely
1: 90 minutes, if any. The third one packs a lot of plot yes. in the 90 minutes.
0: In the third film, that whole thing is at least is 10 to 15 minutes. Yeah, because they it's do the over. whole
1: sequence where they put this little metal. It's like a le- little ring with chomps. Yeah, <laughs> with chain chomp, chomp thing <laughs> on his spinal column. Um, to register with his thalamic nerve. And then, yeah, he like escapes and they buzz him and he gets hurt and they like trap him. And then he just like rips it out of the back of his head. And which and that's I will the
0: end say, I like that scene. That just shot was cool. It was cool shot, but the fact that it's like, it's just a guy putting his grimy fingers In, <laughs> into, into is, his
1: own neck. Yeah, yeah, and then
0: he pulls it out and it's like, it's not gushing blood and he's not like losing any <laughs> blood loss, like no blood loss whatsoever. Right. It's
1: just like he's a pumpkin or yeah.
0: something. Yeah, and so after that, you're like, we both, because I knew about that, but you didn't, but we both were just like, That so was that's, 10 minutes. I was like, that's it? Like, So what the fuck's the rest of this film? The rest of this film is genuinely more interesting than the fact that it's the face-off
1: thing. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. It's, yeah it's... It
0: does something, yeah, like you said, it does something with Darkman where it's just like, he pretends to have a family and realizes, fuck, I can't have that. Yeah. But I love this family, and you're and like, he, like,
1: sort of almost kind of tries to, like, see, okay, can I pull this off? Can I, like, fake my way into this family? But what's also funny,
0: too, and this is also shows just, like, how silly these sequels are, like, when when Jeff Fahey, who, again, at the time when he's doing the face-off thing, it's all Jeff Fahey just, you know, playing the main antagonist, but also the protagonist, you know, Darkman pretends. Jeff Fahey plays the, the guy that he, like, he plays the main kingpin, which I can't remember... I think Reagan. No, it's his last his name. I can't man. remember. But like, basically, he when he anytime he hangs out with his wife, he just goes Rooker. like, ah, oh. yeah, what Rooker? Rooker, that's yeah. right. Whenever Rooker hangs out with his wife, he always just goes like, shut up, bitch. Yeah. But he's then a when total he plays, <laughs> then when he plays Darkman's version of Rooker, he's like the nicest, sweetest dad yeah. who knows how to play piano and knows how to talk about feelings. And it's like, how does this woman? Not, no, this is not her husband. Yeah, yeah. Because every time the actual Rooker shows up, she talks about how he constantly just cheats on his wife. <laughs> yeah. Like, to the point where cheats it's comedic. he doesn't
1: pay attention to the, the, their daughter. Yeah,
0: like, yeah, like he, I think she says on their wedding day, he fucked one of her bridesmaids. Yes, yeah. So it's like, how do you not know the dark man? <laughs> it's like, how do you know the, you know, it's not your husband? Yeah. And it's just... It gets to the very end. It almost has like a parrot trap kind of situation, too, where it's just like that woman has a conflict of just like, do I want to stay with my piece of shit drug pin of a husband who right. cheats on me constantly? Or this man who looks like my husband, but when he does it, he's still kind of attractive, but also he's kind of scarred. <laughs>
1: yeah. And
0: it's like, what is this movie? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> For a film that's called Die, Dark Man, Die, it is very passive in terms of killing him at a certain point yeah he almost I, never, could... I
1: never felt like the stakes were very high in terms of dark man's life it's so... also
0: funny as shit that you know we were watching dark man 2 and there were moments i think both of us by ourselves saw a scene and went huh that's weird i don't remember him having a suitcase in the last shot oh well i guess that's just like a b-roll thing yeah. and then we watched dark man 3 and we go did they shoot this for Darkman Three and they just put it in Two because they had none, no they just footage? Needed to
1: fill space. Yeah, because yeah,
0: in Darkman Two, there's a shot of him going into a manhole and there's like a suitcase or something, like briefcase it, yeah, with him, it's like
1: a, some medical or scientific suitcase. Luggage. Yeah,
0: and and it just like it just is played off in Darkman Two is like this is just Darkman doing his nightly yeah, he's routine, just going
1: into his lair.
0: But in Darkman Three, there's a purpose for him having it's that part case. of the plot. Yeah, and it's like excuse me.
1: What? Yeah. Yeah, no there are there were like extended chunks of yeah. material lifted from each of these movies and just used again in the other one.
0: I mean like with The Return of Durant it just is like as... But like his
1: dark mobile oh. that he drives through the underground railways. Yeah. Uh, they use the same footage of that for all of the dark I'm, yeah. I'm calling it the Darkmobile. It's, they don't refer to it that way, but he basically has this little underground like utility trolley that yeah. he has retrofitted to travel under the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a
0: shot that's in Darkman 2 of like a synthetic finger being created. Oh, yeah. Never brought into context in Darkman 2 because it's a shot from Darkman 3, and so it doesn't... <laughs> they just <laughs> yeah. use random footage. They just use it, yeah. And it's just wild... It's honestly we're we're making it sound a lot more fun to watch them back to back, but genuinely, no. Darkman Two takes the wind out of your sails almost immediately.
1: Yeah, and then I Dar- would say if you're gonna bother with either of the other ones, I would just skip two and watch three. Yeah, you're not gonna miss anything, and it's just gonna be that much more palatable because you haven't sat through two already.
0: Because even Durant, who's played by Larry Drake in the first film, is returned, and Larry Drake returns for the sequel. Who he's great in the first film. I think yeah. he does a great shitty like main henchman guy, yeah. who's very like he well, definitely is remember like memorable. Yeah, but like in the second one, he it doesn't seem like he's playing Durant in a way where it's like I have to kill Darkman. It's the only thing I have to do. No, it's business as usual until <laughs> Darkman shows up again. He's Just
1: trying to buy a building. That's the that's his whole thing. He's,
0: yeah, he's trying to buy a building to do something with like the, the power grid. I don't. It just. Yeah. It's yeah. It's it's so stupid. And and I mean it doesn't mean the third one's not stupid, the third one's very stupid but it's but fun it, stupid in yeah, some parts. It also it has a the stupidity in the third one makes sense in its world where it's like It's yeah. There are actually setups and payoffs in that third film that are like you can catch them a, a, miles away, <laughs> but it's at least like hey this is this is storytelling. Yeah. This is how a script should be set up and payoff. While well, yeah. as in 2 it's like characters die randomly. And, like, just very violently, and then, like, the whole yeah. thing is just, like, and this person will be remembered. And yeah. it's
1: just, like, okay. Like, well, it's there's, just... there's no, like, real major significant set pieces in the sequels. Nothing no. like the helicopter sequence, certainly, in the first one.
0: No, I mean, the big thing about the third one is the whole, the whole, there's, like, secret plan having to deal with uh, basically making super soldiers out of dark man's blood and (laughs) put him into other people yeah and by doing that the whole point is to basically kill a congressman at or a senator at a rally no it's a district attorney i think it's a district attorney election and instead of killing him before the election they wait until he's elected and then they just like activate all the super soldier characters
1: yeah the goal is to just like tear his head off on stage
0: and it does nothing Because Darkman's there and is able to pull him aside before the guy can get at him, so it absolutely means nothing. And then it's just like, oh, that's right. Probably no one will care about this. Let's go back to the face-off kind of element to this.
1: It's also just so silly because, like, Darkman is not, you know, a mutant. He's not an irradiated freak. Like... He He just just got burned and, yeah, damaged a nerve so he can't feel pain. So it's like, what are you taking from him to put in other people to give them that ability? Just cut their thalmic nerve. His superpower is that he can
0: punch a wall hard enough that it could break his hand and he wouldn't feel it. And he would just get angrier. Yeah, Like, there's nothing... Yeah, it's like he's he is a 30s to 40s comic strip superhero. Like, he's just like... And his secret power is that he can put on different masks and look like people and he can blend into the yeah, background yeah. and it's like
1: cool. What okay? <laughs> I think my favorite just in retrospect my favorite like just difference in quality in the filmmaking between the first movie oh, oh from my Raimi God. and the other two is like in the first film whenever whenever Darkman is disguised as another person yeah that actor actor of the character that he's playing play is dark man obviously but there's a distinct effort by the makeup department to like clean up that actor's face and put really heavy makeup on them so they look kind of off they look yes. kind of fake and plasticky yes and it so like when you have the scenes where it's dark man disguised as this guy and the actual person in the same scene they look different there's a bit of a like kind of like a matte color
0: yeah it's to, like, like, it's like the they makeup. just caked up Kicked on too yeah, much makeup. Which, which I think thing. the most the most noticeable part of that is when Durant sees Darkman dressed as Durant. Yeah, and you can just see the visual difference between you know Larry Drake being Durant and Larry Drake pretending to be Darkman as Durant. Right, and it's just a really well cool
1: detail that is totally gone. It's just in the yeah. other two movies. It's just okay. Yep. Uh, you actor who plays this thug, you're now playing Dark Man, you look exactly the same and now you're Dark Man. And Go. also,
0: yeah, it's what's funny too, is like Dark man's None of an, that effort is there. Dark man's an idiot in the sequels where it's like in the first film when he would pretend to be people, he was very awkward initially because while he did a lot of reconnaissance and surveillance and he's an intelligent man, he's not an actor. Right. So he doesn't realize until he starts doing this shit that like he has to like <laughs> Think on the fly. He has to right. improv, and so you'd think in two and three, if they're trying to play the same character, uh Peyton is Peyton. Peyton's Dark Man's real name, Peyton Westlake. Peyton Westlake, and of course, we're bringing this up an hour and ten minutes <laughs> in, but he's Dark Man. To he's me. Dark Man. Yeah, uh, yeah. But like when he's in the second in the second and third film, he is even worse when he goes on un- under like un- like undercover. Yeah, it just is. Everyone else sucks at noticing it. Like there's. <laughs> There's one moment, because again, it would have been a really cool in Return of Durant if, you know, Darkman tries to do what he did the first time with Durant and try to, like, go into his ranks without him noticing. But Durant kind of knows this time around, like, I know his mannerisms. I can catch him this time. No, he gets caught <laughs> the way that you think he'd get caught, is where he basically just runs out and the guy that he's pretending to be goes, Wow, I got knocked on the head <laughs> by some goofball. Wait, that's me. And Wait. it's like, it's like Durant, you, why aren't you giving him anything to do? There's so there's potential here, right. and you're just not doing anything with it. While I was with three, the potential and what you're given is not at all what you would have anticipated <laughs> for a film like this. And it also ends. Okay, we got to talk about the fact that Darkman Three's ending is probably the funniest fucking part of the film. <laughs> it just ends. There's just a there's a shot. Of the main love interest, I think it's Andrea Rooker. I think it's her the the name yeah, of yeah. Jeff Fahey's wife in the film. There's just a shot where she sees Dark Man's face for the first time, and then it's just a shot of them looking at each other on a roof. And then there's just like two lines of dialogue from Arnold Vosloo as, as like a a monologue, and then it just He's, fades he just to says black. Something
1: about like I return to the darkness, but... and
0: she and I can't be with them, and I hope the best for them. Not even two seconds of darkness until they get to the credits. Yeah, it's just immediate. It's so quick. It's so fucking funny. It kind of
1: feels like on TV when, like, the movie ends and they, like, fast-forward through the credits. Yeah. It's, like, this really abrupt thing. It's like that, but that's actually how it is.
0: Cool. It's, like, we can talk about, you know, like, Spider-Man 3 also is a bad trilogy ender, but at least feels like that they're trying... Feels like it's
1: meant to be an ending. Yeah, Yeah. it's
0: trying to give it a bit of a closure, like, you know, kind of, like, you feel like you've watched three films right. of a storyline and then in dark man three die dark man die it's almost like it's an episode of a television show yeah it just feels like it just has no it's almost like and that was the episode where i nearly had sex with a woman thinking that she thought i was her husband right now time for episode four and it's like what yeah <laughs> so this is how they end you're not even trying right it's like oh god And also, speaking of that, it's funny because there is also an unaired Darkman pilot that I've apparently heard is worse than both of these direct video films. Amazing. Which is amazing, and I will never watch it. Yeah. Now, but I am kind of disappointed that there's no Darkman cartoon.
1: Could you imagine? Could you imagine, imagine if, if like, like MTV did like a Darkman cartoon? Could
0: you imagine? Yeah, MTV like MTV tries to do like a gargoyles-esque looking <laughs> yeah, right. Darkman cartoon. There was a RoboCop cartoon at one point. Why can't oh, yeah. you just do Darkman?
1: It's not big enough, a, I guess.
0: Definitely not big enough. But yeah, that's Darkman as a trilogy. Yeah. You Apparently, really...
1: uh, just recently, uh, yeah, Liam, very Liam, recently, Liam Neeson uh, expressed he would be very interested in a Darkman legacy sequel. I think maybe I I can't remember maybe on the condition that Sam Raimi returns. I um, just that would be wild. That would be wild.
0: Would, gosh, could we just call it? This would be this would be the title that would sell me almost immediately if it was Sam Raimi being as completely just <laughs> just stone cold like this is the film I'm going to call it. If it was called Darkman Four: Return of Darkman. Oh yeah. See in a fucking heartbeat. Darkman <laughs> Return. I would buy Man. it. Opening day, yeah, I would see it hopefully in a packed theater. You could do, you could do a Peacock
1: series. Oh my god! And every episode, you have like a different like celebrity guest star playing (laughs) Darkman's disguise. You you could bring back Arnold Vosloo as like one of his disguises, and
0: you can pair it with Bel Air. I just, I felt like that was a yeah. joke that
1: needed to be made. Well, and, you know, I hear Will Smith looking for work, so he oh, could be one of the disguises. We're not even going
0: to fucking talk about that. <laughs> we try to. We're not. No. 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 I just want to get that joke because <laughs> I, when I think of Peacock, I think of Bel Air. Yeah. Oh, uh, but
1: yeah, I mean, there is. I would be down for yeah, a legacy sequel, especially if Liam Neeson is down. Yes. Like we didn't if really you get break, Liam and Sam. Yeah. Uh, by all means do it.
0: Yeah, like we didn't bring up like the thing that's so funny about Liam Neeson and Francis McDormand being in a Raimi film is that Liam Neeson only auditioned for the role because an actor, which I it's either Bill Paxton or Pullman. I cannot remember which one it <laughs> I is. I think it's Pullman. I think it's Pullman where he just like told Liam Neeson about the audition for Dark Man. He thought it was cool, so Neeson did the audition, <laughs> got the role, and then Pullman was pissed and didn't talk to him for a few months. Yeah. And Francis McDormand is in the film because the Coen brothers and Ramy are best like were great friends. They were living together. I think at the time they were doing well, he in, was doing Dark in Man. the eighties.
1: <coughs> in the eighties, Ramy the Coen brothers, and Francis McDormand all lived together.
0: Yeah, yeah, they did. And it's like they're the best. They're basically best friends. Yeah, and it was one of those weird, like at that time I think the Coens had only they had done Blood Simple. They had to have done Raised in Arizona by that point. Yeah. So they had already kind of become the Coens just like very early on in their careers. And just the fact that it's like if you told someone, yeah, Francis McDormand's in a Sam Raimi film, they'd be like, no. You mean mean the woman that's known for Fargo, Three Billboards? Like she's way too good. She's way too serious for a Sam Raimi film. It's like honestly kind of right, but she also commits and it's great. (laughs) Like unfortunately her character in that first film is not that good. She's pretty much unfortunately just like she is love interest. That is her goal. Yeah, she's kind of just there. Yeah. But there are some good lines that she gets. Like, I think one of the best lines she gets is, If you're not going to kill me, I have other things I have to do. <laughs> like, that was like a fun little line that she gets to say. And yeah, I mean, the Dark Man trilogy is, uh, again, we expected this. I think we talked about it in the last episode. We were like, We were both excited to watch Dark Man. I had seen it before. I think you had only seen clips. Right. And we just knew that, like, we were going to probably enjoy the first Dark Man. And then 2 and 3 are probably just not going to be anything. Yeah. And I will admit, 3 was a lot more fun than I anticipated. Yeah. However, what I mean by fun, I'm going to say Darkman <laughs> 2 is like a 3 or 4 out of 10, and Darkman 3 is like a 5. Yeah. Like, it's like Darkman 3 is definitely the most fun of those two sequels, but there are honestly better directed video sequels to franchises out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Like, instead you should watch Aladdin, King of Thieves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's my go-to in my head for to video yep. sequels. But yeah, that's the Darkman trilogy. Definitely watch Darkman. You know, consider two and three if you're really that bored, but ultimately the Raimi film, the only Raimi film was the first one, and it's pretty clear that even in, you know, post De- Evil Dead 2, you know, the man could have just kept doing horror films for the rest of his career and probably stuck in that niche. It's clear with Dark Man. Showing with Raimi as a director and as a kind of an auteur yeah. that he could do other genres very well. Mm-hmm. And like we talked about in our dramas, the same Raimi episode, we you see, him do, you see him do a western in the mid-90s. You see him do a thriller in the late 90s. You see him do a romance baseball film that he can't even salvage. But ultimately, <laughs> I mean, at this point in his career, you know, right before Spider-Man in the 90s, he was playing around in the genre pool. And I think yeah. Darkman is a success in that regard. Yeah, he's he's got more so. successes than failures, I think in the genre pool. And yeah, we'll see more of that genre pool in our next trilogy or final trilogy, because now that we've done the Evil Dead trilogy, the Darkman trilogy, mm-hmm. the dramas of Sam Raimi, and even the Spider-Man trilogy, we've almost covered all the films in his filmography. So what better way to kind of do our last trilogy than to talk about the most recent in his filmography? Yeah. Which is the modern, which, I mean, what are we going to call it? We're going to well, call it we'll the modern-
1: call it, Yeah, modern Raimi. Yeah. The, 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 the modern films of Sam Raimi.
0: Yeah, the modern Raimi trilogy. We got 2009's Drag Me to Hell. We got 2013's Oz the Great and Powerful. And then, of course,
1: 20, 22's
0: Doctor yeah. Strange and the Multiverse of Madness.
1: And I think there's a worthwhile connection there because he hasn't. Made much this side of Spider Man, yeah. Um, and so the, these films are his you know, this is not me ragging on him, are no. his few contributions in the last uh 13 years now, 14. Yeah.
0: Besides Drag Me to Hell, Oz, and Doctor Strange 2, other directing stuff he's done besides that is the pilot to Ash vs. Evil right. Dead, right? Everything else has just been producing stuff, yeah. And it's very exciting to see what he does with Doctor Strange 2, but also it'll be very fun to talk about the films he did after Spider-Man 3, Mm -hmm. where it's like Spider-Man 3, at the time that it came out, was one of the biggest films of all time. Even though the fact that critics, I think it took a while for a lot of people to kind of admit how much they didn't like the film and kind of like the public consensus changed a lot a year after. Right. Even then, around the time that Spider-Man 3 was being made, there was a possibility of having Spider-Man 4 be in development. Yeah. And it wasn't until, basically, you know, Maguire was out, Dunst was out, and Raimi was just kind of like, I <laughs> don't really want to do it if they don't want to do this. Yeah. And so, after that, what do you do? Well, you go back to doing what you do best, which is play in that genre pool. Yeah, absolutely. And, and because of that, we get pretty much like a horror throwback, a Disney film that is a <laughs> prequel, well, kind of a prequel right. to The Wizard of Oz, the classic film, and... <laughs> a Marvel superhero film, <laughs> nearly twenty years, yeah, well, tw- fifteen years since the release of Spider-Man Three, yeah. So it'll be fun, yeah. And absolutely. that'll be May 5th, 14th Fourteenth, yeah. it'll be May fourteenth. We will be doing the Modern Raimi trilogy, mm-hmm. which we're, God, we're so excited about that. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, well, I'm, so,
1: I'm also just really excited for Doctor Strange.
0: Yeah, I'm just excited for all three. I'm excited to watch the first two again. He's mm-hmm. like I've, I've seen Drag Me to Hell you know I think it's a blast but it's also <laughs> been like a decade since yeah, I've seen right. it and then Oz the Great and Powerful I actually reviewed in high school <laughs> I did too I think we we probably did it at the same time yeah you probably you, you did it you
1: wrote it for the website and I did it for the newspaper I
0: think it's also one of the first films I saw just like by myself on <laughs> like voluntarily yeah where it's like a Tuesday night and I was like I'll go watch this I'll review this <laughs> But yeah, it's it'll be fun to kind of see how much Raimi is still there post-Spider-Man 3. Yeah, so, right. Tune in on May 14th when we talk about the modern Raimi trilogy. But until then, I'm Logan Sowash.
1: And I'm Andy Carr.
0: Thank you so much for listening.